0: Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Hello, Sean. We're both in North Kansas City now.
1: Hi, Amos. Yeah, it's it's cool that you're just like down the street for me. I mean, you were before, but it was more like four miles down the street.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like a quarter mile, half mile.
1: Uh, maybe, ha- maybe, maybe one mile. I don't know. Uh, it's not far though.
0: I don't know. You should get on your bike and ride over here today
1: yeah I would if it weren't so no, cold no gloves, <laughs> no coat, just go for it <laughs> and I've never been one of those guys who can uh you know just wear shorts year round but they those people do oh, exist
0: yeah. and they ride bikes in the winter and they do what's wrong with you yeah i'm a I'm a fair weather biker. I love biking whenever it's warm <laughs> and <do> dry <laughs>
1: I, I think the best is when you can you can bike down the road a little ways and meet a friend for a beer or a coffee, so when the weather gets nicer, I'm gonna take advantage of the fact that you're just down the street. I'm thinking of bringing my bike down here also I've been trying to look uh
0: outside here, so the new office you know we have a big patio outside, and I was like, well, I wonder if I could put my bike out there, but then I'm like, I don't want to leave it there overnight mm-hmm. so then I was like, I wonder if I could. Put one of those things where you can raise it up off the floor, you know, and put that out on the patio. So it's like up in the air next to the ceiling and lock it. But
1: oh, your I patio is covered.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's oh, okay. A cool. Patio. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so we you can come down here and we can party even in the rain.
1: Nice. <laughs> yeah. We, we have one of those. Oh, I say two. We have two of those for our bikes in the garage. So in our, you know, I just, we didn't have a good place to put them otherwise. Um, so I got those like kind of a winch up thing on the ceiling of the garage and, and then there's plenty of space to walk underneath.
0: How hard is that to use? Is it,
1: it can be a pain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Um, Okay. I mean, it's, it's just rope going through a, you know, pulley system with a little, uh, tension, uh, mechanism so that, so that like when, when it gets up high enough and there's enough tension on it and you let it go, then it's, it's got a. Uh, a mechanism that like clamps down on the, the rope so that it doesn't slide through. But, mm-hmm. but then uh, in order to uh, let the bike down, that's actually harder than putting it up. Um, you have to, you have to get at the right angle to get the, the the clip to pop out so that you, you know, the tension is released from, from the rope and you can lower the bike.
0: So is it like a, like blinds where you got to pull at an angle? Yeah. It's, it's similar okay. idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. That could work. Could also just get one of those like wall stand things where I can just stand it up so it's not taking up near as much room. Yep. Yeah. Gonna have to. It's flat down here. It's flat in North Kansas City. It's very flat in North Kansas City. So I can ride my bike at full speed and not get tired for a couple miles. Yeah. (laughs) My neighborhood, it's like hill after hill. And my house is kind of at the Front driveway is kind of at the bottom of a hill. So mm-hmm. no matter which direction I go, I'm in a valley. I got to go uphill. Yeah. I could start my time off pumping up. Wait,
1: wait, wait, you're, you're saying it's not all just flat in in Missouri? I, I, no, I heard it was no, like, not at all. you know, nothing hey, as far as fl- the eye can see. <laughs> it's flatter here than it was
0: when I lived in, in South Central Missouri. Because that is like all hills. There's nothing but hills, uh, which is... Terrible if you have to take care of your yard because it's hard to mow on a nearly vertical incline. Yep. (laughs) Not quite vertical enough to just be mud. So it still grew grass. But there there were some times when I was mowing that the front wheels came off the I had a riding lawnmower because I had a giant yard. Mm -hmm. And the front wheels came off as I was trying to go up the hill and I had to stand up and like lean real ho- over the steering <laughs> wheel <laughs> to
1: to keep the front wheels down. Wow. We, we, when I was little, we had a, uh, I said little, uh, until I graduated high school. Um, my folks lived in a house that, that had a very steep incline in the backyard. And it was mostly, uh, I think that when they constructed the neighborhood, they, they pushed up a lot of the, the soil for drainage purposes mm-hmm. uh, you know some of our neighbors like even right next door had pretty flat backyards but ours was like super inclined and i think they just they just wanted to make sure that the water got away from the house into a you know a drainage ditch behind the house but but yeah so it it was a challenge to to mow that that hill you know my dad finally gave up doing the yard and had you know me and my brothers do it um Did you have a push mower or a we had a push mower yeah so it wasn't. It wasn't just that you had to go up and down that hill. You're also like trying to make sure that the mower doesn't come back on your toes as yeah. you go up.
0: That's the one thing. I, like our current house has pretty good incline in the backyard, and a lot of that I think is drainage too, because otherwise we would be at the very bottom of the hill. Mm-hmm. So I think that they did it that way on purpose. And I push mow now, and that's a pain. But I'm also like. There's some more enjoyment I actually get out of bush mowing than I didn't get out of riding in a the lawnmower. I don't know why maybe it's mm-hmm. just physical exercise I've no idea Probably. maybe it's because I sit on my butt most of the day, yeah <laughs> <laughs> speaking of sitting on my butt what uh what's going on in your elixir world
1: uh I was uh, interested in that well, not so much the content of the thread uh but the idea of the thread on the elixir forum about you know what other you know, models, what other frameworks are out there for, for building web apps and, and Elixir. And I, I, I think what's interesting about it is um, everybody just immediately thinks Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And if they're not thinking Phoenix, like, Oh, well, I'll just do something more simple with plug, you know, cause back in, you know, both of both you and I did Ruby, uh, you know, Sinatra came out plug plug is kind of has some stuff in there that looks a lot like Sinatra. Yeah. And you can bit. just straight use it. But, uh, the the responses were were not what I expected. In some places, uh, a lot of people recommended uh, Web Machine and the Elixir port, which was surprising to me. I've never actually
0: like I've, I've glanced at Web Machine, but I've never mm-hmm. looked at it. How's that? How's it different?
1: Like basically everything you know about web frameworks, MVC, the forget it. <laughs> Uh, because, um, and I mean, you know, I've given like whole talks on web machine, so I don't want to like give that talk in our podcast, but (laughs) the, the idea is that instead of, instead of defining, uh, controllers and routes and views, I mean, you have routes, but they're more like, uh, you have, it's, it's a, a, a list of dispatch that you pattern match over. And then your resource is is the main thing you work with. And it's a module that has a bunch of optional callbacks it can implement. And the idea there is that you, unless there's absolutely something that you need to go outside the ordinary, uh, you relinquish control over many aspects of how the response is, how the request is processed and how the response is produced to HTTP semantics. So like a big point of web machine is that you, you are building you know, something that conforms to the semantics and the RFCs as much as possible. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there are places that are ambiguous, like in, intentionally. And those are the cases where you kind of have to go, well, in fact, the framework is leaky in those places. It says, well, you know, this, this part of the RFC is too ambiguous, so you have to decide what you want to do. But in a lot of cases, you can say, you can think of it, it it's much more functional, less less imperative. So when you define those callbacks, you're saying, here's the kinds of content types, for example, that this particular resource can, per, can be represented in. If your resource allows updates, so like if you take post or put or delete requests, stuff like that, You can say, here's the kinds of content types that I can accept. And then one of the great, I think one of the greatest things about it is uh, they really put thought into how do you handle uh, conditional requests. Most web frameworks I've used, aside from Web Machine, it's kind of hard. And what I mean by that is, so let's say say your browser goes and fetches the thing, the resource, Mm -hmm. and it puts it in its cache. Well, you'd like to, next time you request that page, use the thing that's in the cache, if possible, right? Because that's going to cut down on bandwidth and maybe it hasn't changed. Maybe it's like, I don't know, a picture or, you know, or some content that changes only every day, something like that. And, and so uh, usually what people do is they'll manually put like an expires header mm-hmm. in, in their response. Um, and that says at this point in the future, this, this content will have changed. Possibly, uh, that's the easy easy way, right? But there's mm-hmm. also uh, what they call uh, conditional requests. Um, so if your if your response has uh, a couple of headers, possible headers in it. So if it has an E tag, an entity tag, um, I don't know if you before. use those. Yeah,
0: yeah, I have. Or if it has, really helpful.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Um, or if it has last modified. In the response, which is kind of like uh, if it's a file, you read the timestamp and put the timestamp in that that header, right if the 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 browser or the the whatever other client you're using remembers those entity tag or last modified headers. next time it requests it, it can say it can send a header that's like if none match for the entity tag or if modified since and then if if either of those things are not true. so, so if the entity tag is the same or if it hasn't been modified, then the the server can return 304. No content, which has like, or not three or four no content, three or four not not modified. And mm-hmm. then there's no body. So you only have to worry about headers. So your response is much smaller. And presumably, if you've designed the thing right, you can uh, you can do that computation at, at very low cost to the mm-hmm. server. So you're generally improving things in terms of bandwidth, but you're also improving things in terms of time spent processing the request. Now, in a lot of the frameworks I've used, for example, I tried this way back in the day with Rails. It was hard because you'd have to go all the way down into the controller and basically do all of the work you're going to do except render the page. Yep. Yep. That was my experience, too. and, And at that point, you're like... Did I actually save anything? <laughs> yeah. um, so so, Web Machine says, "Well, we're going to do that check up front." Um, so so, after it's fa- it has a bunch of phases, and depending on which callbacks you want to implement, but after it gets through the basics, like is is this thing even available? Can I process a, this request? You know, it, this is a request well formed. It gets to the point where. It's like it, the, the, the big linchpin of basically every uh web machine resource is does this resource exist? If it does, after that point, you say, let's do, let's do the conditional responses. So the if none match the if, if modified sense or if not, I forget which one. There's like the the positive and the negative version. I never remember which one is the appropriate. Um but uh I think it's the if nots, the if none, if not, not, yeah. Anyway, uh, so so what that I think encourages people to do is say, "What's the lowest compute? What's what's the the simplest computation I can do to figure out if this is going to produce new content?" Yeah. Um, So if you like the easy way on this is if you have, uh, let's say your your thing is like fetching something from a database and. And then producing JSON or XML or whatever your your app uses, then you know, if you have modified timestamps on the record, that's an that's an easy thing. The record in the database. That's an yeah. easy thing to, to say this this hasn't changed. E tags are a little bit more complicated, but you could do something similar like, you know, hash the contents of the of the record and use that as an e tag.
0: Yeah, sometimes you can
1: uh, but that happens all before you you even get to the point of producing content. So, so they're like if you focus on doing very, very little in each callback that Web Machine defines, then you get a really uh, snappy and uh, compliant HTTP interface.
0: What were the other What were the other things in there like from that from that forum post? I, I th- said it was interesting, and I cut you off and asked you about Web oh, Machine. Oh,
1: so. yeah, no, I love talking about Web Machine. You can always ask me about that. Um, <laughs> the uh, The other ones. So we've got to pull it back up because I'm trying to jog my memory. Um, I did remember, though, like a friend of the show Eric Ostrich um, has one of his own that he's been working on called I Know. Oh uh, yeah, have you looked at his his I have framework not. yet? I have not. I'm sorry, Eric. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 plugging friend of the show here. Uh, <laughs> the yeah, I, I I looked at it the other day and a little bit more this morning. Um it's it's really interesting. Like he he actually says, "Well, let's forget plug. We don't need plug." It's extra layer. Plug is kind of a bit too tied to a particular web server uh even though it, mm-hmm. it you know pretends not to be. Uh the the implementation of it expects certain things. Yep. And so he built it straight on top of Ellie, which is another great Erlang web server. And and I think what's really great about it is like super tiny. You can do a lot with very, very little code. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he even has uh you know, you're just like uh, Phoenix or Plug will compile your routes uh when you define them. He you know, he has the the whole macro compilation stuff, um supports WebSockets uh pretty straightforwardly. Um and and but it's like yeah, hey, you just ha- you just have a Few functions, your middleware is just functions that passes a thing to, and when you you set up your your app, you say here's here's my list of middleware that I want as an actual list,
0: like like an Elixir Erlang list.
1: Yeah, yeah, like a, yeah. a list a list of one arity functions. So they they take in
0: like an environment. And yeah, it's kind of a, a like, kind of like rack
1: yeah, it's it's okay. it's yeah i I don't know I, that I would compare it to rack okay but it's a bit more like plug in that respect that it's but but there's no uh it's just a bare map there's no struct underneath it okay
0: so you can put so, whatever you want
1: in yeah you can put whatever you want in it which is is kind of neat it makes me feel like
0: like set up an X unit yeah
1: right, you have
0: you can just give it a list of functions and it'll run all of them and pass them whatever the output is from the previous Mm -hmm. function
1: yeah his his only requirement is that you know your end handler so the the thing attached to the route Mm -hmm. has to return particular keys in that map as and all of
0: these can all of them return early if they want to
1: yeah yeah there's there's an ability to halt i think so cool yeah I might look at it, Eric. Yeah. Look at look at it, Amos. <laughs> this,
0: so far, this is sounding like a reasonable form conversation. And
1: so so where's the catch? <laughs> I I, th- I think it was it, the catch is kind of the premise in some ways. Or or maybe maybe the, the context. Like why why should we be in this situation where when anybody thinks web framework they think phoenix i mean i i know it's like that's a that's a thing um because it's popular um but uh you know it kind of it kind of that in in ecto for for lack of a you know better counterpart but like they 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 kind of drown out a lot of other conversations Mm -hmm. um i know that you know uh, Keithley would probably say something about yeah, people. People know Phoenix, they don't know Elixir, something like that. Yeah. And and like I, I feel like in some ways we can be in that spot that a lot of people were in the the mid teens uh, with uh, with with Ruby projects, mm-hmm. where you know people know Rails, they don't know Ruby, or they don't make use of the things that the language provides. They're just you know, walking within the confines of what the framework encourages you to do.
0: What what makes it get popular though? Like, I don't know. Does it, does it solve? You know, like the eighty twenty rule. Does it solve eighty percent of the issue? Like pr- the issues that eighty percent of people have. Does it? Can you do eighty percent without stepping outside of that?
1: Maybe, or maybe it's that uh, it provides the, those guardrails are like useful in the beginning because you can say uh, y- you can say th- this is a space of problems that I understand and here it's solved in a fairly similar way to what I already understand therefore I can get into this new language this new framework pretty easily like ease ease is a big deal for people yeah there's
0: and there's a lot of ease moving from rails laravel kind of any of the those MVC type frameworks over into phoenix is pretty straightforward Use a lot of the same wordings and the layout is similar.
1: Yeah. Oh, I remembered the the, the gotcha on this thread. The actual oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Let's hear it. Like second or third suggestion was, well, what about live view? <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried live view? <laughs> uh, okay. I I will say
0: that it changes semantics a lot. Mm -hmm. Of what you do from straight Phoenix. Okay. I see how they got there. (laughs) I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stand up for them a little bit here. Uh, In that it changes the semantics enough that it feels like a different framework. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Uh, and, And I actually like it. I won't talk about the documentation in live view right now. (laughs) It needs some help. And I need to put my work into it if I'm going to complain about it. But it's it's hard. It's hard. I think it's hard to get started. It's hard to figure out whenever you run into problems. The lifecycle stuff is either spread out all over the documentation or not very clear why, like can't do certain things in mount or handle params or like in mount i can't redirect but i can and handle params well what if i already knew at mount like why couldn't i do that and none none of it's really explained why the decisions were made or why it should matter to me or um or even sometimes like oh yeah i can't do that in mount is like a I I run into all the time people like why can't i redirect i don't know what's going on because it's like sometimes you can change sockets in a way that it'll react and sometimes you can't flash messages same way mm-hmm. yeah there's all kinds of stuff that's hidden in that framework that's a little bit but to me it is it's a new it it i i i'm going to go out on the limb and say it's another framework it's built on top of one but it's i think it stands alone to a point just because it does change the way
1: you have to think about and approach problems yeah and it, it, I think that's fair too, because you've got beyond the initial render, you're basically acting over a webSocket, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's not a a traditional request response cycle. Yeah yeah and in that initial render, depending
0: on how like into live view, like if your whole page really is live view, that initial render is even really just an empty template. Mm-hmm. That maybe maybe checks him off to make sure that you're off. That's about it. <laughs> like <laughs> so you 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 get out of what I would say traditional Phoenix really fast and into a, a different mindset.
1: Yeah. One of the things that was always confusing to me, and I don't know if this has changed since the last time I used LiveView, but there is one callback you have to define that's called like twice. there's is it like called once when you mount and once when it actually renders or something? Is it update? Maybe I forget, but that that was pretty confusing to me. Life cycle. Yeah, yeah. I think
0: mount mount is called and then updates called. and then after that only updates called, I believe you don't get mount called again mhm i yeah and then and then you get into like do do i i have the params amount and then i have them in handle params and i i typically just say mount loads dummy data whatever an empty page would look like and then let the handle params deal with loading things in the socket hmm that way I get the user, their stuff loaded as like, you start to get that f- perceived speed, right? Because mm-hmm. you can, you can get that initial, here's the page. Now it fills in pretty uh,
1: so quickly. Sort of like what the, you know, the, the big social media websites do when they're trying to load your timeline, you know, you get some kind of placeholder thing and yeah. then, and yeah. then they load it in and it actually displays. Yeah. Yeah. Or
0: like, can I load the first? Even even if that placeholder in your mount could be like the first five things, mm-hmm. you know, just enough to get past the fold of most people's monitors, and then load everything else in a handle params. But now I've sidetracked the whole conversation. <laughs> See,
1: well, this is this is why it's the hallway track of the elixir community. <laughs> We're all about sidetracking into other conversations. <laughs> This is
0: the ADD track of the Elixir
1: community. So another thing that that was interesting in that thread, and I think that um, it had had gone around uh, about maybe a week ago, maybe less. Uh, Somebody's written a new web server in Elixir and they presented on it at ElixirConf. I I guess it was on the the virtual day um, called Bandit. Um, so, so if you wanted to replace the other primary plug web server in your app, you could use bandit. So what's
0: the, what's the good thing about bandit? Like what's well, let's
1: not argue good or bad. What is the, the thing that's different about bandit? Well, in that it's in Elixir, first of all, it's not in Erlang. So for folks who don't know Erlang, but no elixir it's probably more approachable i would argue that like the big leap there if if you know elixir well enough the big leap is not semantics for erlang but syntax and so and also like there are some weird things that are historical about erlang that don't apply to elixir because it made different choices but uh, that can make you know erlang web servers less approachable to work on but the the other thing I think it, that's that's neat is um, it, you know he's able to uh, it's Matt Trudel or Trudel he was able to make different choices uh, when building his web server too so um, you know it covers a lot of the same things he has uh, you know a a uh, acceptor pool socket server framework that sits underneath it uh, called Thousand Island, which if you understand uh, how the other web server is put together, why it's called Thousand Island is kind of a joke. The, uh, but Bandit. um, Jokes are always better explained. Yes. (laughs) They are.
0: I don't get the joke.
1: (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Okay. Well, um, a, a, a little research will will explain the joke for people. All right, I, I would prefer Fine. not to mention, um, mostly because I, I actually don't want to get into that conversation. But I have big problems with the the dominant web server in this space. Okay, not from a technical point of view, Phoenix. but from a wait, Phoenix is the web server. Web server or web framework? Web server. Web server web server.
0: Was this original question? Now I'm confused. Was the original question on the forum web server or web
1: framework? No, uh, it says non-MVC web framework, question mark.
0: Okay. Okay. So good, because otherwise my live view thing if they were talking about web servers would just be like, wait a minute, that's not a web server. Okay, I'm good.
1: (laughs) Good. But yeah, like you you should try it out. Replace what you've got with Bandit. See if it works. I might have to do that. Play around with it. Yeah, I think there are some limitations to it yet. It's not 100 percent complete. But uh, but for most most of the Phoenix things or plug things you want to do, it could probably work.
0: What other frameworks are are out there? Or what else? Is there anything scathing going on in this forum post? I like I like scathing.
1: There there were some <laughs> kinds of uh questions about definitions of terms. Uh isn't this actually that? Um <laughs> I, I kind of don't, don't bother with those, those comments. <laughs> uh, there's, there's one called Nova uh, as a, a, a web framework on Erlang. I think I, I glanced at that a while back. I don't remember what the, what the differentiator or the appeal was. One that I did not see mentioned, uh, which is going way back to when I started doing Erlang, is uh, Nitrogen. Oh, did we talk I... about Nitrogen last time? I want to say we did. I'm not
0: sure. I know about it and I did some like cursory level exploring of it back in when I when I first started looking into Erlang, but we were looking into Erlang for a communication server, mm-hmm. not not a web server, and I was just like, oh, they got a web framework. Let me let me look at this. And I, you know, I, I think I did like, you know, the basic example. And then moved on. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know much about it.
1: Yeah, um, it, like Nitrogen hails from from the days before we had websockets, um, but a lot of what it was trying to do is very much in line with things like Live View and all of these Live View like things. But yeah, it was like you once you loaded the page, you basically did everything else over Ajax requests, and so you could replace parts of the page with snippets that you'd render on the server side uh, you could you could navigate uh without navigate to a different part of the application without changing the page you're looking on looking at um so that that was uh, the the big and weird thing there is they used erlang records for html so rather than having like an interpolated templating language you got uh you know you you say like to render your your base page, you say a pound HTML curly brace children equals pound head, you know, and fill in the things in the head, and come pound body, and then you would so you would have this kind of nested structure in your code where you had defaults uh, filled in for each of the the things, but they defined you know for all the major uh, HTML tags you had had a record, and it would uh, it would the nice thing about it is then you know you kind of see well, my variables fit in here. You know, the things that I want to change in each render mm-hmm. of the page, like it, it's an actual variable in the Erlang function that renders the, the view. The flip side is like, it's not terribly efficient to render that uh, versus the, you know, the tricks that EEX does uh, where it's like, you know, I'm going to read everything up until this sigil and that's going to be one binary that gets emitted into the compiled function. And then, and then you've got you know the code that produces some, some string, and then you know you go on. And you take the other static parts of the template, and you got a big I/O right. list. Uh, this super efficient way to do it. Uh, Nitrogen was like, "No, we want to model everything as uh, as tags." <laughs> we <laughs> We're having a cat that. episode again. <laughs> we got
0: we got to leave that in there. That was the best. Have you seen the Thurman cat video? No. Uh, I'm going to find it for you. Somebody plays a cat like a Thurman. With their hand. Oh, the okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, I got sidetracked there. I had something. but <laughs> She's a singer. <laughs> she is. Yeah, it seems like that modular way. Why did they, so they wanted to like model your whole output as like a giant data structure then, and then convert that to HTML, like at like last mile. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like right before sending to the, to the client. I can see why you would want to try that. It allows for modification all over the place. And, and a very, I don't know, like a very, uh, you, you could, you can change things anywhere along mm-hmm. the way. Then, and so if you had a new endpoint or something, you might just be able to add one little thing at the end to get a completely different output.
1: So I, I get it, but yeah, and think think about testing your views too. Like you know, now you can say, well, I gave it this input. You could just use a pattern match on the data structure to say oh, that's so true. Like, this is what changed because i use this different input to the template instead of like that that could be really powerful uh, have you have you tried those new style templates with live view the you know the, the kind of structured ones the heeks heeks
0: heeks <laughs> i think is what it is i don't know
1: does it produce uh, something like that like a like a data structure i didn't look at it
0: i didn't look at what happens what the output of it is I so we've been using mostly surface components. Okay. And so when it came out I was like oh it's got components and I looked at the syntax and I wasn't the biggest fan. I converted a couple of templates to it. I mean they worked, but I did not look at what is the actual intermediate output anywhere along the way to see what it did. I am less and less of a fan of the templates that change how you escape code? So, like sometimes things were in curly braces, and sometimes they have that like percent equals syntax, and mm-hmm. I don't. I, it that kind of annoyed me, and now I feel like I'm mixing templating languages in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really a problem in Heks? And I think it was. I think like arguments were escaped with curly braces, They're like mustache. Yeah, but then tags were escaped with the percent. So like strange. A, like a leaks, I think. Man, now I'm I'm confused. Somebody will correct me, probably on the forum, and then I'll never see it, so it won't matter. <laughs> if you want to correct me, you got to do it someplace other than the forum. I, I don't go there very often. I go there, and I I read proposals sometimes, uh, and then I pretty much stay out of it. Mm-hmm. It's kinda how I do it everywhere though. I, nobody's nobody's got time for all that. I don't know no. how people they're, they're I don't know how people are on there all the time. More power to 'em. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm happy that there's somebody that's there. It's just not gonna be
1: me. Yep. Well we're grateful to the moderators too. Like they they uh keep most things pretty civil. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I've seen a few,
0: few knockdown dragons in the forum too. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's that's probably part of the reason I stay out of there. I got I got enough yeah. going on in my life. I don't need to add more. That and I get Keithley will fill me in whenever it's really really important for me to know about. <laughs> Thank you, Keithley. Thanks, Keithley. Well, I don't know. I think we're, I'm kind of running up on my time for the day that I have.
1: Well, it's good we got to chat about something. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we released a new episode today. So now I just timed us. Now everybody knows when we record. (laughs) I won't tell them which one. Mm. There we go.
1: Suspense. (laughs) All right. Uh, We'll catch you later. Good talking to you, Amos. You too. Bye. Bye.